Let me pray. Father God, thank you for warm weather. I remember two winters ago when it was freezing and it was long and it was cold. And so we're grateful for a nice summer. Would you help us stay awake, stay alert, and focused on your message and what you might be saying to us here tonight? It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, the story of Abraham and Isaac is a pretty intense story. Maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't. Kind of the big thing that God asks Abraham to do in this story is to sacrifice his son, to kill his only son, on an altar. Now, I wasn't there when God asked Abraham to do this thing, but I can imagine it was scary. It was intense. I can imagine him hearing the words and disbelief rolling over him and then thinking for a moment, wait a second, did I hear right? And then a pain entering his gut and sweat forming on his brow And then perhaps he walked into his son's tent and looked at him sleeping there, wondering, how many more times am I going to get to see you sleep here, Isaac? Are you going to be gone in just a few short days? Are you going to be dead? See, we know the end of the story. We know that this was a test, that God was testing Abraham to see how true his faith is, but Abraham didn't know that. As he was going through the story, all he knew is that God had told him to offer his son as a burnt offering. That's a scary thing. Abraham didn't know what was going on. He didn't understand his circumstances. He didn't understand what God is doing. And sometimes we go through similar life periods, don't we? We go through times when we don't understand what God is doing, when it feels like God is testing us, that our circumstances, our trials, well, we wonder, why, why is life this way? Why is my job causing me so many difficulties? Why is my supervisor being unkind? Why, why is my health not good? Why, why God, why? So we don't know if God's testing us or Maybe we've sinned and somehow we've brought these circumstances upon ourselves, or maybe Satan is tempting us. We don't know. But there is something that God wants us to learn in these moments. Often we pray to God, God, get me out of these circumstances, get me out of this test, when really what we should be praying is, God, what do you want me to learn in this moment? Help me learn it so that I don't have to learn it again, so I don't have to go through another test. Today's message, we're looking at one simple truth that God was teaching Abraham, the lesson God wanted Abraham to learn, is that God tests us to give us deep faith. God tests us to give us deep faith. This is kind of the main point, the big idea of this message, and I'm giving it early so that you can be thinking about this and reflecting on it as we go through the message, and hopefully you'll learn a little bit about it and about our passage, Genesis chapter 22. Now, the Olympics are coming, and it's pretty exciting. I, I hope that uh, they, they go smoothly and there aren't any problems. And uh, I was recently doing a little research, and I ran into a story of a freediver named William Truebridge of New Zealand. He is a professional freediver, free and so he really knows what it means to dive deep. 
And earlier this year, he, uh, he attempted the deepest unassisted free dive. In other words, he didn't have flippers. Uh, there was a uh, kind of a rope that he could pull himself along, but he was aiming to dive 121 meters without any sort of oxygen. You know how many feet that is? That's 397 feet. My ears start to hurt when I get to the bottom of like a 10-foot pool. I can't imagine doing this. But in order to dive deep, he has to train. He has to test himself. He has to push himself. And the reward is diving deep into crushing pressure and darkness. You can't see anything unless they set up some lights. See, God calls us to dive deep in faith with him. He tests us in order to give us experiences like this so that we'll cling to him instead of clinging to ourselves. And sometimes it takes darkness. Sometimes it takes crushing pressure for us to see our need for God and that he's true and that he's real and that he loves us and he wants to walk with us through the crushing darkness. God puts us into tests And he gives us those tests to teach us something. So how does God go about testing us? We're going to be looking at this passage. We're looking at the first two verses of Genesis chapter 22. where The story begins revealing to us that God was testing Abraham. God tests us by asking us, you and me, to give him what matters most. See, God wants us to give him the most important things in our life. And we see God doing this to Abraham, saying, Abraham, give me your son. Give me your son, Isaac. Notice how the scriptures write it. It says, take your son. Okay, so there's a statement. And it's going to get narrower and narrower. Take your son, your only son, your son whom you love. Take Isaac. Take Isaac your only son, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. See, God narrows down in our lives those things that matter to us most, our heart issues, to test us on those things. He was doing this for Abraham. See, Isaac is the person that, uh, the son, he's the child that he loved. Perhaps he was even the thing that Abraham loved most. But remember, God also made Abraham a promise. God made Abraham a promise that through his son Isaac, he had another son named Ishmael, but God sent him away. So this is the only son that is left. Through Isaac, Abraham is going to have a great multitude of children. He's going to bless all the nations. And here, God is not only targeting Isaac, he's targeting the promise. God is saying, I want you to burn your son, but I also want you to burn your future. I want you to burn your legacy. I want you to burn that thing that matters to you most because I want to be the one that matters to you most. God asks for a lot, doesn't he? (laughs) I don't know what you're going through or what you've been through or what one day you will go through, but God asks that we trust him completely. What are you clinging on to in this life that you value the most? What's that one thing? You're like, well, I'll give you everything, God. I'll give you everything but my job. I'll give you everything but my, my friends. I'll give you everything but my community or my toys. 
I give you everything but that thing. Well, that's probably the thing that God's going to ask for. (laughs) Because he wants to know that you belong entirely to him. Now, if God asked you to do a scary thing, to give up your your dream job or your family location. I love that uh, today's faith story was about having to move and having to trust God by faith, moving from place to place. If God asked you to do something big like that, would you? What if God asked you to give up something small like your your pride? Asking you to go and speak with a neighbor or a coworker about Jesus or humble yourself and keep working at that job that you just want to quit? What if he asks you to give something that's unforeseen but you really love, like your dreams? God calls us to hold those things with open palms. If God asked you to go on a short-term missions trip uh, to another country, would you? Or do you like your comfort too much? You're holding on to that. It's the most valuable thing to you. If God asked you to adopt a child, would you do that? Or do you have your set way of doing things that you're going to hold on to? How about your money? Oh, man, the pastor's bringing up money. You know where this is headed. I was recently reviewing my tithes and my offerings, how much I'm giving to the Lord, and I was challenged by the Holy Spirit to say, are you, are you holding on to this for your sake, or are you giving me what I've asked of you? Where we put our money reveals where our heart's at. God tests us by asking us to give him what matters most, but he does it for our good. God tests us to give us deep, deep faith. And we pass this test by two things, faith, by belief, and obedience. Now I want us to look at obedience first. Verse 3 says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, and then he went. He loaded the donkey. See, Abraham is a man who had cultivated a, a lifestyle of obedience. He knew how to obey God in the tough moments because he obeyed God before this, in other moments, in big moments and in small moments. Maybe some of you were here the week that we looked at uh, the covenant sign of circumcision, Genesis chapter 17. Well, God told a man who was 90 years old to go and get circumcised and to circumcise his family. And it says he was circumcised on that very day. So he had practiced obeying God in that moment, which was also a big moment, so that he could obey God in this even more difficult moment. I recently went on a vacation, a trip to Colorado. It's a great, a great state. Uh, and I visited my friend Clint and his wife. And they have two cute little kids, and they're raising their kids uh, to honor God, to love Jesus. And I love one of the phrases that they used as they were parenting their son. It's this phrase, slow obedience is disobedience. Slow obedience is disobedience. God shouldn't have to count to three for you to obey. (laughs) But we tend to do that, don't we? Slow obedience is disobedience. Quick obedience is obedience. God wants us to trust him. God wants us to obey, not to procrastinate because we're praying about it. 
But just obeying, honestly, is not enough. Because then God, suddenly God becomes this like taskmaster figure. He becomes someone with a whip who just wants our obedience. But God wants so much more than that. He wants our love. He wants our belief. See, we pass the test by faith. By honoring God, not just with our actions, but with our hearts, that we believe that he is good. And because we can trust him, it motivates us to then obey. See, there's a difference there because it starts with belief. Now, Abraham is a great example of faith. He's a great example of belief. Now, looking at verse 5, Abraham comes to the region where he's going to sacrifice his son Isaac, and he tells his two servants, he says, stay here. And notice what Abraham says right after that. Make sure you don't miss it. He says, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham doesn't say, I will come back to you. He says, we will come back to you. Well, wait a second. Didn't God tell him to sacrifice his son? Is Abraham just lying here so he can get away from his servants so they don't try and stop him? I don't think so. See, Abraham knows that the promise is through his son Isaac. And so in this worst of moments, in this darkest of trials, in this deepest of tests, he's trusting God. He's saying, God, I believe that You're even going to raise Isaac from the dead if that's what it takes to fulfill your promise because you are good to your word. We can trust you. And actually, if you look into the New Testament, it actually tells us that Abraham was believing that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead if indeed Isaac died. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, it says, By faith, Abraham... When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. And even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham had faith. Abraham had belief that God was going to be good to his promises and that God could even raise the dead to new life. Sounds a little bit like the type of faith that we have, that God will one day raise us to new life. God wants obedience. He also wants faith. He wants to know that we trust him. William Truebridge, the diver, he he retells an anecdote from uh, Russian gymnast trainers. Uh, I know some of you are going to Russia soon. And he tells the story of Russian gymnast trainers screening children. And to screen good candidates for, uh, for gymnastics, they wouldn't go to a gym and kind of see everything that the kids could do. They wouldn't look at their outward appearance and say, how tall are you or how strong are you or how fast can you run? Instead, they would take them to a swimming pool. They would take them to the highest diving board, and they would tell them to jump. (laughs) And those children that jumped made good gymnasts because they trusted their trainers, they believed, and they obeyed. And it wasn't that outwardly they were good-looking Christians, that they knew how to say good prayers, 
or they knew how to do their devotionals all the time, or even that they served at the local church. See, God calls us to obey, to have faith. That's the thing that matters most to God. And of course, maybe he calls you to obey doing those other things as well. If God asked you to jump off the highest diving board in a pool, <laughs> would you? We pass the test by faith and obedience. God tests us to give us deep faith. Now, we're supposed to believe even when it's difficult. We're supposed to trust God even when it doesn't make absolute sense. Even sometimes when it's not logical, when we do things that other people say, no, this isn't, this isn't smart, but God calls us to do those things, either in his word, the Bible, or through the Holy Spirit speaking to you. See, Isaac asks Abraham a question. He asks him, where's the lamb, Father? Where's the sacrifice? Where's the offering? Now, this is a reasonable question because they've just traveled three days to go and to make an offering, to make a sacrifice. But Abraham's answer is a little unsatisfying. He says, God will provide. God will provide. Now, Isaac is not dumb. He's not an idiot. He's young. Maybe he's a teenager. And I imagine he's a little bit intuitive that maybe something is wrong here. Maybe we have the lamb. Maybe we have the sacrifice. But he trusts Isaac chooses to trust his father even when he has plenty of reasons to doubt, even when he could be scared for his own life. Isaac continues to go forward, continues to climb that mountain. He receives the wood on his own back, a premonition of what is about to happen. He trusts God even in this darkest of moments. See, we're supposed to believe even when it's difficult even when it doesn't make sense. When I was in Colorado, my childhood friend Rachel died. Many of you had been praying for her. She battled with cancer for about three years. She was 28 years old. She, has, she had three little daughters, Eva, Nora. The last one is escaping me. And she had a godly husband named Mark. And there's no reason, logically, why her children should trust God, why they shouldn't be bitter, or her husband shouldn't be upset. Sometimes we try to take tragedies and we try to create like a happy ending, a happy story. Well, you know, the husband got a book deal and the book deal changed everyone's lives. But even if really good things come out of this horrible death. It doesn't justify it. It's not enough. It's not good enough. But what is enough is knowing that there is a God who is good and who loves this family, who loves Rachel. Rachel is with Jesus right now, 
who loves Mark and loves those little girls. See, we put our faith in him. We put our trust in him even when it doesn't make sense because we know he is good even when the circumstances, even when this life doesn't appear to be good. We, we grasp to something that's higher, to something that's stronger and greater than anything we could ever hold on to in this life. We grasp to a God who loves us. One day, God may give you the opportunity to trust him, to believe, even when it's difficult. I'm sure most of you have already experienced that in your lives, no matter how old or young you are. Are you going to hold tightly to him? Are you going to trust? Are you going to have faith? Are you going to dive deep into that test? Because that's what God is calling you to. And you might discover that at the end, you get to know God a lot better than you knew him before. That's what Mark's husband, uh, Rachel's husband, Mark, is saying. That through this, he has gotten to know Christ so much better. God promises to test us in this life, but he also promises something else. He promises to provide what we truly need. This is looking at verses 9 through 14. See, God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. They get to the top of the mountain. Abraham builds an altar of stone. I think it's interesting that Abraham did it and not Isaac. He puts the wood on the altar. God, you could show up any time now. You could, you could interrupt what's proceeding, what's happening. He binds his son. God, why haven't you spoken up? Why haven't you shown me that I don't have to do this. And then he lays his son on top of the altar. God has still not shown up. And then Abraham draws his knife back to strike his son, to deal the killing blow. And finally, God calls out. An angel speaks on God's behalf. He says, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Here's a ram. Here's a ram that you can sacrifice in his place. See, God spares Isaac at the last possible moment. You can imagine that he was ready to go. It's kind of like a golf swing or a baseball uh, bat swing that Abraham was almost at the point of no turning back. He was there, and God said, Abraham, Abraham, don't do this. I know now that you believe that you have gone to the point where there's no going back. And so God gives Abraham two things. He gives him the life of his son. He gives him a ram in his place. And all along, I think God has been giving Abraham something else. God has been giving Abraham faith to believe. God has been giving Abraham the strength to go forward, even in this darkest of moments. See, God will provide what we need to walk forward in faith, even when our circumstances don't make sense. Even when we are going through a test, God calls us to the test. But he says, I've been preparing you for this test for months I've been preparing you for this test for years. Are you going to trust me in this moment? Do you believe that God will ultimately give you what you really need? See, that's part of what God wants. He wants to know that, that you'll obey him, that you'll follow through when he calls. 
But he also wants to know that you believe that he can help you do it. That he'll help you walk through this incredibly hard thing that you have to give up and that you have to to follow God. He will help you do that thing. So this diver I told you about, the story doesn't end in any sort of tragedy. It ends with him diving 122 meters, 400 feet deep and breaking the world record. That's pretty incredible. There's a video of it online and it'll post on Facebook in a couple days as a reminder about this message. You can watch the video if you want. But he breaks the record and it... A little interesting fact, he was the previous record holder, and then later this year, he actually broke the record again, diving to 124 meters, 407 feet deep. (laughs) That's incredible. That's crazy. But you might be surprised what God can call you to do when you trust him. When he refines you with faith, somehow you have the strength to do even greater things than you thought you could do in the first place. That you can do the impossible, but then the impossible plus one. God calls us to greater things, and he sustains us through, through relationship with him, through belief, through him walking through these circumstances with us. I thought that, that there was an interesting poem by this diver. This is like a case study on this guy. He, wrote, he writes this poem on his website. He says, I have a relationship with the depths. They beckon me beyond my means. Cold, dark, vacant pressure, forever night, endless dreams. This man has a relationship with the deep sea. Do you have a relationship with the God who created the sea? Do you have a relationship with the God that calls you into cold, dark, vacant pressures? who wants to bring you beyond your means so that you can become something even greater in him, in God. The lie we sometimes believe is that it will be forever night, that it will be forever endless dreams. But we know that all who trust in Jesus, it won't be that way. That one day morning comes. But God brings hope in this life through brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage us, through the church, through his Holy Spirit. But even if he doesn't give that hope, we know that there is the ultimate hope. There's the ultimate hope of Jesus. And that when we pass from this life into the next, we go to be with Christ. And one day Christ will return to this world and to make everything new. A new heavens and a new earth. That's the kind of hope we have. That's the kind of encouragement we can take away, remembering all that God gives us. God promises to provide what we truly need. We believe in a God that can raise the dead. And if you're in a circumstance where you feel dead, God can raise you. God tests us to give us deep faith. You know what the cool thing is, is that God rewards true faith. God rewards belief. See, God in this passage in verses 15 through 19, God reaffirms his covenant. Now, a covenant is a promise where God is involved. 
If you want to know a kind of a, a deeper, more challenging definition to a covenant, listen to last week's sermon. But we've been looking at God's promises all throughout Genesis, uh, and especially with the story of Abram, who God renamed to be Abraham in Genesis 12, 15, 17, and now in 22. See, in Genesis chapter 12, God promises, he makes a promise. He says, I'm going to multiply you into a great people. You don't have any children, but that doesn't matter because I'm a God of miracles. I'm going to make you into a great nation, and it's through you that all peoples all around the world are going to be blessed. And then in Genesis chapter 15, God says, well, I'm going to make a, a covenant with you. I'm going to make an unbreakable covenant, a covenant of grace that I love you and that I am going to bring this about. And so no longer is it dependent on you to go out and to multiply and make a great nation. I'm going to do it. And that's what the covenant ceremony is about in Genesis chapter 15. And then in Genesis chapter 17, God gives Abraham a reminder, a reminder of this covenant. The sign of, that, of, of the covenant is circumcision, and it's for Abraham and his people, for them to always remember God and his promises. And then finally, in Genesis chapter 22, God says, okay, I've seen that you believe in me, that you believe in me enough to obey me, enough to trust me, that you believe my promises are good, so now I'm going to reward you. I'm going to reaffirm the covenant The Bible doesn't tell us what would have happened if Abraham hadn't believed, if he hadn't obeyed. It still would have been dependent on the Father. But you see, that's what God's grace does. <laughs> when God loves us unconditionally, it produces the kind of people that obey. It produces the kind of people that can go forward even in tests and trials. See, if we truly trust God, it's amazing. We can't begin to imagine the rewards we're going to get. Abraham gets a people that, that outnumber the stars, that outnumbers uh, the, the sand on the seashores. It's unimaginable. We, we look into the stars and we, we keep counting more and more stars and more and more stars and more and more universes, uh, galaxies, and, and, and it's unimaginable what God is going to do for Abraham do you believe that God will reward you in a way that you can't even imagine? Because he does. Maybe in this life he'll reward you in ways that are blessings because you've trusted him, but ultimately the reward that we hope to, that we cling to, is far greater than this life. It's an eternal life. It's an eternal life that we can taste now, but that we can enjoy forever. We can't wait. God rewards true faith. God tests us to give us deep faith. And God uses Abraham to do something greater than Abraham could ever imagine. And I want us to take a moment and kind of review the story of Abraham and Isaac and see that God has also been doing something else. Because as Abraham believes, as he obeys, He's actually painting another picture. Maybe some of you have been uh, to like a painting party where there's the teacher, there's the expert uh, who, who paints like a, you know, a very famous painting. And you follow their step-by-step -step instructions. And as you paint, you also get a beautiful, beautiful painting. Maybe not as good as theirs, especially if I ever go and do something like that. Abraham has been painting 
a reflection of a masterpiece. He has been uh, like the starry night. He has been painting through his obedience brush strokes of something much more beautiful than the story of Abraham and Isaac. See, he's been painting the story of Jesus and the Father. See, the story of Isaac and Abraham is the story of the Son of God and the Father. It's the story of Jesus and Jesus obeying the Father. I'm going to read through some ways that these stories match each other. I want you to listen because there's about eight different ways that these two stories overlap. See, Isaac, he went to a mountain. He went to Mount Moriah as a sacrifice. And we know the story of Jesus that he went to a mountain. He went to a mountain outside of Jerusalem, Golgotha, as a sacrifice. And a cool twist to the story is, is that Mount Moriah is, is the temple mount in Jerusalem. Where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac is the place where the temple was built. Right by where Jesus would be condemned to his own mount. Isaac walked with his father for three days towards his grave. Jesus spent three days in the grave. Isaac expressed fear and trepidation to his father, Abraham. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus expressed fear and trepidation to his father. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Isaac obeyed his father even when it seemed dangerous. Jesus obeyed his father even till the end, praying this, yet not as I will, but as you will. Isaac carried the wood for the burnt offering on his back up the mountain. And Jesus carried the wood for his offering across on his back until he could carry it no more. Isaac let his father bind him as a silent sacrifice. Jesus was accused, falsely accused, but he didn't open his mouth. He uttered no word. He made no reply. Isaac was bound to an altar, Abraham's knife set to cut. Jesus was nailed to an altar, and he was cut by his father. He was cut off and completely forsaken. Isaac was an imperfect sacrifice, and so he was spared, a ram becoming a substitute in his place. But Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, and he was sacrificed. But by doing that, he becomes the perfect substitute for you and for me. For any who would believe in God, Jesus becomes our substitute ram. See, Abraham is the father who gave up his son to God. And the great God of the Bible, the great God of Christianity, is a God who gave up his son for you and me. It's the great reversal. Now, I don't know if you believe this story. I don't know if you believe the story of the Bible or the story of Jesus, but I do know it's worth believing. The scriptures 
invite us. They, they invite us to say, you know what, I, I trust in Jesus. I trust in this story more than anything else. If you don't believe in Jesus, if, if you don't have a relationship with him, you can have one. You can have a relationship with the Father. You know that relationship that Isaac and Abraham had? They had a relationship. When Jesus becomes your substitute, you get a relationship with the Father like that. Like the one Abraham and Isaac experienced, the loving relationship. One where God wants to invite you into his family and to grow you, and, and he, he places his hopes and dreams on you. To, to receive this, all you have to do is repent. So say, God, I'm sorry for the ways I sinned, and put your faith in Jesus. If you want to do that, come talk to me after the service. I'd love to tell you more about that. The story of Isaac and Abraham is the story of Jesus and the Father. See, God tests us to give us deep faith. I'm going to New York City this week to spend time with my wife. It's our anniversary uh, here in early August, so celebrating a little early. We're going to go see... Uh, I think we're going to go see a musical at some point, but there's a musical on Broadway. We're not going to see this one because it's completely sold out. It's called Hamilton. Maybe some of you have heard there's this rage, there's this craze going on called Hamilton. And uh, Monica bought the soundtrack, and I have heard that soundtrack more times than I wanted to hear that soundtrack. But it's really good. And the cool thing is that this musical, it's like a history lesson. It's based on the real life of Alexander Hamilton. And so you can go and you can watch this play and, and learn something about his life. And he had a son. Alexander Hamilton had a son named Philip. And Philip, through a series of unfortunate circumstances, got into a duel to protect his father's honor. In other words, a pistol fight with another man. And Hamilton told him, when Philip came to him and expressed his fear and what to do, Hamilton told him to spare the other man's life. He says, when the time comes, fire your weapon in the air. Fire it upward, because this will put an end to the whole affair. And so on the count of seven, Philip raises his gun and he fires it into the air, and the other man fires it into Philip. And Philip dies. This is how Hamilton lost his son. See, Philip trusted his father to the very end, and it cost him his life. We have a father in heaven who has sacrificed his son so that we might live. So that you and I don't have to experience eternal death, but we can experience eternal life. That's the kind of father I want to believe in. That's the kind of father I want to have. Yes, God calls us into tests, to tests that we don't understand, but it's only because God went into that test first. He had to sacrifice his son for us. When it seems like God is testing you, remember, God's been there. He's gone through it too. God tests us to give us deep faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for moving. Would you bless our offering of money? Would we truly hold nothing back in our lives, not just money, but anything else that we're clinging to, 
Would we be willing to give those things to you? And when we go through times of testing, would we cling to Jesus? Because in him we have ultimate hope. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.